0: That's the biggest thing is like from a common mistake that we see, if you're not really exactly sure what you want, it's going to be really hard to know everything else that you need to do. Some people say more profits. Whenever we ask, well, what do you want? They say more profits. We're like, yeah, but why?
1: Hello, positive leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David List a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPause Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional.
2: And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician.
1: And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips.
2: We will deliver real life experience, along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone.
1: This episode is graciously sponsored by Covetris Compounding. Covetris Compounding is proud to provide you and your clients an array of innovative dose forms, patient-specific prescriptions, and office use formulations.
2: Hello, positive leaders. Oh, it's great to be back with y'all today. We're very excited about today's episode. We have great, super smart guests coming on. We have CJ Burnett and Tom Cico of Florida Veterinary Advisors. CJ Burnett and Tom Sico both hold bachelor's degrees in finance. They are certified exit planners and are financial advisors. Gentlemen, welcome to the show.
1: Welcome. Thanks, guys. Great to have you on.
3: Great to be here. Yeah, we're super excited to be here to share some things today with your listeners.
0: For sure.
2: Oh, awesome. We have a tradition on the uh, Positive Leadership Podcast where we don't read your stuffy bio. We like you to tell our listeners about yourself. So CJ, can you tell our group of managers, owners, positive leaders a little bit about your uh, yourself and your background?
0: Yeah, sure. So I grew up. I'm a fourth generation in Odessa, Florida. So kind of nuts. I'm a I'm an original Florida cracker. Very rare that you that you find find us nowadays. Uh, most people are moving from other states to to come to Florida. I grew up in the area. Never moved not once until I got married. I was actually a fiddle fiddle player, violin performance major in college. When I started, that's kind of what what my first career in high school. I dropped out of high school temporarily and took took it online in order to get my degree. But I was, you know, playing out, making a decent living and thought, hey, this is this is what I'm gonna do for the rest of my life. And then get to college and learn really how, you know, how everything works in the in that world and took an accounting course and then ended up getting a, a finance degree. Manage money. My last year at the University of South Florida, they have something called the student managed investment fund, which is students get to manage part of the endowment fund as you know, kind of for, for fun. They said, Hey, you know, no, no limit on the risk that you want to take. So have, you know enjoy it so did that before I graduated and then whenever I graduated I started my practice uh, financial services and uh, got licensed as a wealth manager
2: and that's where I am today Awesome awesome and Tom same thing tell us a little bit about your background and where you're at currently
3: well long story short or to make a long story long however we want to do this I was I was born in New Jersey moved down to Florida when I was very little I played soccer. During my entire youth, I was about eight or nine years I was in soccer, everything from defense to midfield to, to forward. So I'm like ultra, ultra competitive when it comes to those different things. And I grew up in a small town called Homosassa, Florida. So if you're familiar with Tampa, it's about an hour north, hour and a half north of Tampa. And, you know, I grew up, decided that I wanted to go to college at some point. And I, I ended up in the University of South Florida and at the time when I was in there, I wanted to do computer science, which is strange enough because it's completely the opposite of finance. And after my first semester of college, I was like, forget this. I'm I'm not doing this because my buddy was doing you know, eight hours of engineering calculus every night. And I was just like, this is not for me. And uh, I switched to finance, which when I got out of school, I wasn't really sure what direction I wanted to go from a finance standpoint. I ended up in the financial advisory world back in 2011. So it's just about 10 years now. I've been in advising. And, you know, since then, it's been building something really huge. And I, you know, I met my wife when I was in college, we just recently had our own daughter. So she's her name's Olivia. And, you know, CJ and I, we actually met and started working together back in, it was like the middle of 2014.
1: I am excited to talk with the two of you, because I geek out on finance, I life all things finance. And very seldom do I get to talk to people in finance that are fun to talk to. Typically, it is a snooze fest, the entire conversation. So <laughs> I'm like, right, awesome. Two guys that are going to be fun. I would love to hear, CJ, your favorite platform that left a lasting impression on you, you know, whatever that may be, if it was a class or a book or a podcast or something that really resonated with you. Can you share that?
0: Yeah. So funny enough, it's not financial. There's a book by John Gottman called The Seven Principles to Making Marriage Work. That launched into a few other books that I read just around relationships. And I think John Gottman more so than than most definitely have had has had a profound impact on how I approach my marriage and relationships and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's probably one of my favorites. It's in it's in my top five the seven principles to making marriage work.
1: And I think that is a testament to interacting with clients, right? Because they're all relationships, and it's not just with clients or your wife or whatever. Maybe every person that we're you know in contact with, there's a relationship there. So, fantastic. And Tom, I'd like to ask you the same thing: What's your favorite book or podcast, CE? Something that left a lasting impression with you?
3: There's there's actually a couple things, and actually, just something I want to add on there with CJ is like we actually are. What's so funny is like we're advisors, however, I feel like we're more counselors than anything. We're like psychologists, we're wedding counselors, we are <laughs> right, all things life, people, right? Yeah, like everything. And there's actually two books that I've really loved so much. There's one that's a start with why because it's always yes, just good like, old
1: Simon Sinek, man, he's amazing. Yeah,
3: Simon Sinek. It's just like it was one of those things of like, hey, uh, always being wondering, like, where do I want to go in my life? And I'm always talking about. I'm all over the place. And I think that really helped me get clarity. And then there's one book that I think that's even revolutionized our business and my personal life and everything is the 40 X or the four disciplines of execution. And really being able to see things of like, how do I really, whatever I really want to do, how do I know what to focus on? And how do I track that in a way to where I can achieve all the results I want personally in the business. And I've done it in my personal life. We've done it in the business. And it just, it really gets this sense of clarity where it's just, I don't know. I, (laughs) I used to feel like I walk around with a foggy mind all the time. And I'm like, I know what to do all the time because I've, I've defined it so well.
1: Wow. And Tom, you talk about your business and working with CJ and the two of you co-founded Florida Veterinary Advisory. So tell me a little bit about that and what your business is. You mentioned earlier, you're in a bunch of states. So tell our listeners, tell us a little bit about your business and how you've grown it to be where it is right now. Of course. One thing
3: is I will say being an advisor, I think everyone aspires to have a group of people that they work with. And, you know, it's because it's like, it's hard to really create a a business that you can be able to say, Hey, how am I, what kind of results am I having for the, the society and the things that I'm doing? And I, I know when I transitioned over from one firm to another where we're at now, it was one of those things. I was like, Hey, who, who do I want to make an impact to? And I know during one training session I'd sat down and they give us this whole list of different people. And when I was looking at it, there's a lot of them, you know, I was just like, attorneys, no, engineers, eh. doctors, meh. And then I saw veterinarians on there. And I was like, out of all these people, who can I identify the most with? And I was like, I love animals. And I was like, I'm pretty sure our veterinarians love animals too. And as this started exploring a little bit more into it, and this was like in the middle of 2014, we started doing a little bit of research and found out that like the the financial component of things was just missing. In the veterinary space, like there was people doing things like investments and insurances, but when it came to really pulling together the big picture of it all, it it was just, it was not there. And we kept on hearing it time in and time again. And over time, we created Florida Veterinary Advisors, like actually our, our entity of working together in 2015. And it started off a little bit slow because we were working locally. And then over time, we became CE providers in Florida. And then we became race providers. After a while, we started getting plugged in with the school system. So we speak between five to 10 veterinary schools per year now, the VBMA. Uh, We're national speakers at different conferences. We created our own podcast. And on top of it, like we've just made it such a huge commitment of ours to help be like that guiding beacon, those educators in the financial world for the veterinary profession. Like it is our our vision right now to do that. And I would say about 70% of our clients are veterinary related now. And it's just something that we just... we've dedicated our lives to helping the community.
2: That's absolutely amazing. I mean, I really wanna commend what you guys do and as you said, you know, you do all kind of sorts of stuff. And that's, and that's really, really fun. I'm sure you've learned a lot about your own probably empathy and compassion right through this process. And you're right, money and finance really influence every aspect of our lives from our work to our personal lives to what decisions we make on, on both of those. And owning a veterinary practice is really, really, really difficult. And I think a lot of staff including managers don't realize the really heavy weight that just owning a small business I think we learned it during covid you know you you know when covid came out there were I don't know no short of about 17 different regulations that businesses had to follow and it was like yep tomorrow at 9 a.m you have to start taking temperatures of everybody right like it just got really crazy and the manager's job is to you know kind of implement those, but they have no Mm -hmm. risk, right? The owner has the risk, like it is their money on the line. So just knowing that you guys are out there looking to support them in both good times and bad times, right? Like being profitable and and investing and taking care of themselves and their families is, is really great because we need... You know, they say happy wife, happy life, or whatever. But I think there's also a a sense to say happy owner, happy job. You know, in some ways. I mean, I'm not saying that the staff need to make their owner happy, but if an owner feels secure, financially secure, I think it's gonna gonna trickle down. So awesome, CJ. So you're a certified exit planner. Tell us a little bit about this designation. I will say I have heard a lot of alphabet soup in my time, both on the business, you know, kind of side. You know, CFA, CFP you know, MBA, et cetera. And also on the veterinary side, I've never heard of this one before. So tell us about that designation and why you decided to kind of go down that path. Sure.
0: Yeah. So my background is actually in equity valuation. And like, so if you know, if you know anything on the finance side, security analysis, asset valuation, different things like that, being a certified exit planner really means that you're working with business owners on how they're creating their exit plan. Exit planning doesn't start Five years before they exit, it starts the very day that they buy the business because all roads lead to exit. So when we started working in the vet space and we started working with a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of people that were you know own practices, what we noticed was that when we worked with business owners, it oftentimes allowed us to also help their employees because we weren't just helping them with their own personal financial goals, but we were they were somehow meld and meshed together with the business enough so that, it then allowed us to impact the employees in a, in a very in a very quick and indirect way but still being able to help all the veterinarians that were in a practice find you know what that next step is in their financial plan or what that next step is as far as what they need to know about their finances so you know that was really the kind of the goal with the CEXP mm. there are some other things like uh, the CEXP has a very hard focus on succession planning so mm-hmm. when when you have a, a veterinary practice that maybe a, a previous generation wants to leave behind to the next generation and they want to sell it or they want to gift it, or, you know, there's all these different IRS rules around what you can do and what you can't. Mm-hmm. And so we found ourselves in a place where from, from from a tax perspective, from just, I mean, all around planning strategy, mm-hmm. we needed to really have that background because Tom and I are both CEXPs. Mm-hmm. We really needed to have that background as far as how to do that safely Because Hmm. oftentimes what happens is a business owner wants to sell their business to, to an employee or an an insider, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that insider doesn't have enough money to buy it. Right. And they're not going to be able to go to a bank and get approved for the same multiple of earnings as, you know, a a venture capital firm or or a private equity firm or a, a group a veterinary buying group. So you know, I think being able to help them kind of come in place and and help them understand how to make that transition the most effective way, save a ton of money in, in taxes and things like that, because I mean, I can't guarantee that, you know, that's not promissory.
2: That's just something that we try to help with. But you know, that that's the main reason why we went that route. Oh, that's fascinating. I think there's kind of two things I wanted to highlight there. One is all businesses have a road to exit. I thought that was really interesting. There, I think, is a lot of times this kind of approach, I think certainly veterinarians, and I'm sure you guys would agree that, you know, you maybe, I don't know, you're in your maybe 20s or 30s. It's a little bit different of a model these days, but maybe in the baby boomers generation, you know, 20s or 30s, you start your practice and you're going to work in it for basically infinity, right? That's your thought. 60, 70, 80 years, you know, and that's, you know, that's not the model of, of other types of startup practices, right? It's five years, eight years, the IPO, they do whatever, you know, they sell it, maybe, you know, they they take some portion of it. So that's great, right, to have a family business and work in it for a long time. But that, you're right, at a certain point, they're going to have to move on, either they die, or they run and retire, or they're going to pass it on and so i think that our group of listeners managers and owners i'd love to say guys you really have to embrace that you know so when your if your practice goes corporate or your practice you know is in transition that that it sucks if you see it as a negative thing and maybe you don't like the corporate that bought it or whatever, all of those kind of backend stuff. But you have to see that as an inevitability for the business. If you really think about this in a, you know, if you're putting on your business manager hat, right? Managers that are listening, you have to think like Dr. Bob or Dr. Steve or Dr. Jane is not going to be here when she or he is 95, right? So what is going to happen at that point?
0: I will say this, the more we worked with vets and the more we started getting into the planning aspects of it, we would always hear. Oh, my accountant does that, or, Oh, my attorney does that. And every single time we would go down these roads, we would find out that their attorney is doing one out of the 10 things that they actually believe that they're doing. Mm. Because the problem with jargon is that people get lost in it when it's not their world.
2: Right. So that's a good point. when
0: someone says, you know, something about the IRS people, Oh, that's my accountant. My accountant handle those handles those things. But the problem is, is that the IRS it it deals with a lot more things than just what your tax return
2: says. Right. Right. Of course. Yeah. So,
0: you know, I think, I think that was another thing that just was constantly been pretty, pretty consistent in how we've worked with veterinarians. And when we get into the the nuts and bolts of things, this massive gap was there. And that's why I I love when people are like, well, who's your competitor? I'm like, I don't think we have one. Like, I don't, I don't know of anybody who's stepping into the places Mm -hmm. that we're stepping into because a lot of the time these voids are completely unknown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just want to inject awesome. on there too real quick is that, you know, two of the
3: biggest things that we see with practices too, the two very common questions that keep popping up are, how do I pay myself? And I have all this money in the bank, what do I do with it? And the decisions that a lot of them make tend to be kind of like hip reactions kind of thing, they just make mm-hmm. them real quick, because they want to pay off their mortgage or their they're paying themselves certain ways based off of who told them that they should pay them. Mm-hmm. And they're not taking advantage of things for themselves personally and for their business to the best that they could, mm-hmm. which is I I would say it's like it's incredible being in those positions. They guide these
2: people to say, hey, you know, this is the impact it's having to you. And how do we make this better? Right. That's a great point. And actually, uh, it's great because it kind of leads right into the next thing that I kind of wanted to ask and I'll kind of direct it back to CJ but it really piggybacks off of what Tom said is when I think a lot of veterinary practices they think of or at least my training as a manager was very P&L driven right not cash flow driven and so when you think about the P&L and we're not going to go down this rabbit hole but there's some non-cash expenses there's all kinds of funky stuff and net income or ebitda or profit whatever we want to call it isn't the cash in the bank, right? There's adjustments that are made and and if you're kind of a if you don't have a lot of kind of the non-cash then maybe it's slightly correlated, but it's a great point that Tom just said was like they have a ton of cash in the bank. And so if you step back and you think of your business, your practice as not just I mean it's an asset, right? It's a an investment. Yes, the the business is veterinary medicine, but as an owner, we're going to be frank. Like this is supposed to work for you. So yeah, if you have you know hundreds of thousands or whatever, how much money in the bank, and you're making I don't know less than one percent, you know, on in a savings account or something, I, I'm I'm going to ask CJ like what can they do with that? You know, what are a couple of things that veterinary practices can do to really kind of leverage their, I guess profits is a good word or cash is a good word to not only maybe you, you know. Build the business, but also, I mean, you're also speaking to owners that listen. Like, what are owners things owners could do? Um, you know, with all of that, just cash from the business that's sitting and, and not being put to use. Well, I
0: think one of one of the things that is commonly done that we try to get people to think backwards on a lot of the times they're trying to make tactical decisions. So it's like, okay, I have this cash, what do I do with it? And and they're looking at it tactically, like where can you get the highest interest rate? You know, and the problem with owning a vet practice, it's like, you can't like, so right now, if you open up your browser, went to Google, typed in AAPL, immediately a share price of Apple would show up. Like, you know, exactly how much the price of Apple is right now. You can't really do that with your business. Now, if you invest money in your business, you have to go, okay, before I invested that money per share, my, my value was X. I reinvested this money. What is my value per share now? A lot of the times people take the cash in their business and they, they invest it in their business without knowing what the actual rate of return on that money is and how they actually increase the value of their practice. Or they don't really know the impact of, of what that really does to their bottom line. So they're like, oh, well, I I invested that in an x-ray machine. Okay. How did that x-ray machine help your profits? Or, you know, sometimes they invest things and their profits are actually like, they're running at a profit margin of say 22%. They reinvest some money and now their profit margin is 20 percent oh and and you know it really didn't actually increase their profits at all right so it, it actually it decreased their margin and it decreased the amount of profits that they were bringing and it's like well if you re, if you invested that money like where where was the return so i think a lot of the times people look at it tactically they're not looking at it strategically and if they can start thinking strategically with it um and 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 making a priority i, I think business owners by and large their baby is their business And they feel sometimes weird to say, you know what, this money can't really serve real well in the business. I need to move this to my personal balance sheet, right? I need to, I need to put this to work for me or my family because you know, you're a business owner, you're getting a reward for the work that you do for the risk that you've taken. And sometimes they feel like it needs to stay in the business when realistically there's a lot of things that they can be doing outside the business to, to reduce their reliance on the business. Because the the bigger that their personal balance sheet is, the less they need to rely on the income from the practice. So wow, you just like you blew least-
1: my mind, CJ, with that one. I was like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I, I like, yeah, that's good. But I, you know, it, that's, that's one of the biggest things, right? It's thinking strategically, not just tactically.
1: I like that. Tom and TJ, you both are financial planners and Tom, you talked a little bit about, you know, kind of pilfering through the list of professions and finding veterinarians on the list and saying like, Hey, I can, I can relate to somebody who loves animals as an animal lover yourself. So I can appreciate how you got into this space. And I know once you work with any of us, you fall in love with our profession, right? Because we're just amazing bunch of people. And when I was looking at your website and stalking you guys, because I totally did that. We do it too. (laughs) Wow, (laughs) cool. I saw something called the four C's and it really intrigued me. So I wanted to ask you what that is and how do we implement them into our veterinary practices?
3: Man, I I love that question. And uh, that was actually one of our, our biggest underlying messages for a while. And I think CJ, he is the maybe the one that birthed like that whole thought process behind that. And because we're always trying to make, you know, finances are very complicated. I was actually having a meeting last night with someone too. And it's, you know, they're trying to get some more organization around what they're try, trying to do in their life. And it got to the part where I would mentioned, like, you can use Dr. Google or have all these different people you can talk to. And it's, it's so hard to know what to do. And what we wanted to communicate to people of like how we are really being able to help veterinarians, how we're all able to help other people in the veterinary community, practice owners is that we define the four C's and the four C's are, you know, we help veterinarians get clarity. So it's a lot through, is like helping educate them around the d- different decisions that they're making and how they impact them from how they protect themselves to how they save money, how they pay off their debts, how they're building up their assets. If you're a practice owner, like, you know, how are you using your money to keep growing your business versus building up your personal assets to helping your employee culture and engagement and motivation, all those different things, helping them understand that, which once they get the clarity in the direction they want to go, now they feel like they have more control and they know where they're going and what they want to do. So the second C is control. And once they have that control, they can feel this sense of confidence. Now they're confident that they're going in the right direction, which is the third C. And then from there, it's like, now I have a level of contentment. I know that I'm working towards the direction that I want to be going because at first, you know, for lack of better terms here, as a lost puppy dog trying to figure out what do I do? Like, what, do I, well, how do I accomplish this? And I find it so amazing at times where, um, you know, we've, we've actually tried to even make it simpler these days to where our message has really been refined to uh, we help reduce stress of uh, financial stress for veterinarians and the veterinary community by, by providing them the next step in their financial plan. And it's really just, how do we, define things
2: and help make it simpler for people. Appreciate that. That's a great approach. I think you were talking about some of the books that you read and you follow, and it really aligns with that, right? Like it's-
1: The clarity, yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like you're taking this amalgam, as you said, strategy and tactics. So the tactics is, you know, the tax return or the opening the stock account or whatever it is, but the strategy is these four C's. And man, isn't it powerful when you get super clear, super laser focused, super aligned, and you drive from that level, the strategy level, all the other stuff just kind of falls into place, right? Isn't that amazing? Because It's kind of like a separate side, you know, discussion on this podcast about like strategy versus tactics and how to run ramshod over just life, right? You're getting out of the weeds into the bigger picture, and then sorting through the weeds to get there. So that's pretty cool.
3: Well, something just to dump onto the end of that too, David, is that we actually define, we have these things, what we call the reasons for planning or RFPs, and we need to help people dream. And it's amazing the amount of times that we actually meet with practice owners and we meet with uh, people for individual planning. It's just, you ask them like, what do they want to accomplish? Right. And so many times they're just, they're all over the board and we're like, okay, we need to help you dream and get yeah. your reasons for doing
2: that. Yeah, yeah, for absolutely. sure. Yeah. That's a great point. So we like to sometimes ask questions that start discussions for possibly future episodes, looking at like, what are the things we're doing wrong? But I think that it opens up a basket. So I'm going to open it up to you both, you know, and you can just kind of maybe ping pong off each other. What are a couple, you know, we usually look at like two or three common mistakes or problems that vet practices kind of make with their finances. So what are a couple of, of major missteps? You know, are there IRS loopholes they're not taking advantage of, or, you know, those kinds of things that you say, like, hey, here's the the top things we go over with every client and we find so many of them are not taking advantage of this.
0: The first question that stumps almost everyone we meet with is what Tom just mentioned a minute ago was like, what is it that you actually want? Like, I think the common mistake that from like all the mistakes that they make can actually be boiled down to, they actually don't know exactly what they want. And there's all these different things to do, right? So I think that's probably from a common mistakes or problem. I would say that, that, cause if you're not really exactly sure what you want, it's going to be really hard to know everything else that you need to do. Some people say more profits. Whenever we ask, them, well, what do you want? They say more profits. We're like, yeah, but why? And I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the five whys, right? But when someone answers a question, you ask why, and then they give you another answer, and then you ask why. Yep. Usually keep about digging. the five.
1: Keep digging. Yep. Yeah. You just digging. Keep root,
2: <laughs> yeah. Root cause analysis, right? <laughs>
0: I find yeah. that across the board. When Tom and I meet with somebody, it's like we're asking the five whys a lot, and and we'll spend twenty minutes on getting their reasons for planning, and only scratch the surface. And so you know, a lot of the times, I think that's the biggest thing is like from a common mistake that we see. And then Tom, I'm gonna let you kind of jump in here. I think the second one is how they how how they pay people, not what they pay people, how they pay people. They don't p- veterinarians are, are are really good at being vets, not really sure,'re they not oftentimes aware of all of the ways that you can compensate people because it's not necessarily just what you compensate them, but how you compensate them. And then also how they how veterinarians view profits. So when it comes to reading p and l's and financial statements, a lot of people avoid them. A lot of vets avoid it. And, and I would say you almost have to like em- embrace the finance, embrace uh, one of our clients calls it embracing the suck um, because she hates the financial statements. But like, you, you almost have to like, if you don't know anything about your finances, then you, you are at least reading a finance financial statement. I mean, cause I, I went to college for financial statement analysis. So like, that's, it's like my happy place. So I can understand why other people like hate it, but really understanding what's going on in their business. And have their finger on the pulse of of cash flow and how cash is being moved, how it's being used. I think is probably what I would say the the third most common mistake. I don't know, Tom. I don't know if you have some other things to jump in here.
3: One thing that is coming to my head a lot too, where practice owners make a big mistake is one is either they don't have people they're working with, or they blindly trust just one person with everything, and then they just assume that it's okay, everything's good. Accountants are a big scenario here where. And not to say there's accountants are bad. However, it's like, I have my 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 friends doing my bookkeeping, my accountant files, my taxes. And then beyond that, there's really nothing else happening. Or they have someone that helps set up their retirement plan through their work, their simple or their, their 401k. And it's like, we're good. And then like they completely shut down everything else. And I think it's like the matter of like one, they're not asking enough questions or no, they're not finding the right people to ask the questions for them. And I think that's something like we come in there And like, we literally like take things and like flip them upside down and ask so many questions because there's so many moving pieces that like, you know, life is simple, but it's also can be very complicated. And I would say we're very, we're very good at taking all these complicated pieces and then making it simple and like, Hey, how do we, how do we go from here? And I think if practice owners were to really start thinking of like, Hey, do I have the right counsel to support me through all these decisions? Uh, You know, that could help them really just really understand like what CJ was saying with the. Why am I doing this? Like, why does all of this matter in the first place to me?
0: I remember I had a mentor, who is kind of a business consultant slash personal consultant, and he he one time said to me, So CJ, I don't I don't have all the answers, but I have I have a lot of questions. Like, I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna help you discover the answers, because the answers have to be yours. So a lot of the times people think like, oh, you know, I need to save for retirement. And they default to, well, what do you think most people default to when when they think of saving for retirement?
2: 401k. <laughs> 401k. Yeah, Guaranteed, 401k. IRA. Of, do you, know where, do you <laughs> right. know where the 401k came from? Uh <inaudible> That's a great question. And I, I'm going to let you answer, but I, there is a guy who started it, right? And there was it, some reason. I don't remember the exact so story. It, if you, if you, if you, um, so you can actually Google a
0: Wall Street Journal article on the guy who started okay. it. And he lamented that he ever started it. Right. He regrets it, right? Yeah. But not because of what it was, mm-hmm. but because of how people use it. Uh, right. uh, if you read okay. the article, he, he, yeah. he says, no, it was, it's it's because corporations are now using it for their advantage and people are right. too, un, yeah. too unaware of how to use it in a plan. Now, with the 401k, that is a tax code. That's where 401k, right. that's the tax code that it's associated from the Act of 1978, Revenue Act okay. of 1978.
2: Okay. So, Got it.
0: It's kind of funny how you know, Tom's. You know, like a lot of the times they blindly trust. Okay, this is what I'm supposed to. This is what everyone else is doing. It's kind of you know follow the herd mentality as opposed to like, wait a minute am I doing Great exactly point. what I need to be doing for me? Yeah, yeah and point.
1: I want to dig into that a little bit because you both have mentioned that specifically, Tom, when you talk about how, you know, there's blind trust there, right? Where they have a CPA or a bookkeeper, someone's doing everything for them. But I'll tell you what, managers, is the same thing, right? Practice owners have no idea their risk and their exposure with a manager when they have, you know, carte blanche to p ls bank accounts, mm, uh, anything, cash. right? And that, <laughs> Yes, right, yep, cash. It makes yep. me super nervous. There's no safety yeah. nets in place. And you've talked about the four C's and some common mistakes. And so having the benefits of, of, you've talked a lot about these benefits of having a financial planner in practices and for practice owners, but I would love for you to talk to specifically our listeners that are practice managers. And you talked about how we can strategically pay our veterinarians. And let's talk a little bit about how we can strategically pay our practice managers as well, because oftentimes we are the only ones advocating for ourselves. We have no problem saying, hey, Susie, our technician, or Bobby, the receptionist needs a a raise. But when it comes to practice managers going to our boss and saying, hey, we want to raise or we want to advocate for ourselves or how to pay ourselves and how to be strategic with that. So I would love for you guys to talk a little bit to some extent or specifically to the managers that are out there. How can they kind of get into some of this and use a financial planner for, yes, their practice, but for them themselves and a strategic ways of of being paid and compensated. CJ, can you talk a little bit about some of that?
0: Yeah. So I think the first part was benefits of working with somebody, right? That's, that was the first part of that. So let's. Yes. I think a lot. So uh, well, I forget the movie now, but there was a movie. I'll never forget where the guy. The guy had no regrets tattooed across his chest. Do Y'all know that movie, and and it was regrets spelled uh, like R A, wrong, like yes, regrets. And yeah, like he's right. like inter- he's being interviewed by the dad that he like he's dating the dad's right. daughter right. So he, and the dad goes, "You got no regrets, like not even one, right?" Like and he's like, "No nah, man, nothing, no regrets. That's my credo." <laughs> like and and it's so conducive of like I think to have regretful decision making you have to have absolute clarity on what the next step is. So I think uh, one of the benefits to working with an advisor or somebody to help with the practice is just the peace of mind on how 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 you're making financial decisions and how you're going about helping people inside that practice. I think another thing like uh, because it seems like the more that we work with people, the more they start learning through the through an experience. Right? So like so I can only talk to to People in in context to what Tom and I do, and I don't want this to be too much about us because I think it is. I, I think meeting with other financial professionals can definitely help you. You can get a lot of education from them. I think Tom and I have definitely spent a lot more time with clients than what the typical person does in our industry. So you know, I think oftentimes you might have one or two meetings. We have a full blown process where we go through. You know, we have all these different things that we that we go through and one step at a time we because how do you eat a 10 foot sub? It's like you know one bite at a time. but I think having somebody to actually break down each individual piece and what is, prioritize what is most important and putting making sure that the things that are least important are further down on the totem pole, prioritizing is huge and making sure that you're you're aware and staying focused on what matters, making the
2: main thing the main thing. That's well said. I love that phrase, keeping the main thing, the main thing.
1: (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about the the shares? I know that was something that I really wanted to touch on with practice managers, because I know in the state of California, we are not, we're legally allowed to own a practice, but banks won't loan if non-DVMs have a majority of the loan, right? So that is something that, as a potential practice owner, that's something I have to think about. But then I also think about some of the managers that are, or even leaders in the practice that are listening that are non-DVMs, Mm -hmm. and talk to us a little bit about shares because i would love to hear about that more
2: yeah like if a manager either wants to buy in or the owner wants Mm -hmm. to give the manager some part of it what what could they do because i think that's a you know i think we're finding out more too that managers are truly talent in the practice and how would the owner how could the owner think about retaining that talent
0: well so there's there's a lot of aspects to that i my head my, kind of, my head kind of explodes in a bunch of different directions, so I apologize. <laughs> of
2: course, of course. Yeah. Even the main when thing, comes, the main thing, right? You can narrow and it. And course. you have two minutes <laughs> to answer the
1: question, right?
0: <laughs> ultimately, it's a matter of compensation, right? I think ultimately, because the reason why you're giving equity is because you want them to be compensated to, for profits so that they feel personally motivated to keep profits high.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I agree.
0: But how you pay people. So there's three R's. We talk about the three R's. Rewards, retention programs and recruiting programs. And oftentimes, when we talk about retention, people immediately go to equity. But I, I always I kind of discourage people giving away equity, because it's so hard to get back. And mm-hmm. when somebody has equity in your business, your you're business married, Tom yeah. and I are business married.
2: Yeah, hands down.
0: Yeah. Like, right. It, when when crap's going on in my life, guess who's, guess who's also getting, having to eat a bowl of crap, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so right, right. you know, when his daughter was born and he was like, oh my gosh, what is going on with my life? Like, I mean, I was having like, it's, it's, Feel it, the pain. I mean, it's yeah. normal, right? So I think, um, I think when it comes to how, how you pay employees, it, it really, there's, there's so many different ways. Let me just kind of give you an idea. So let's, let's, I'll go through the three R's real fast. Reward, pro, the best reward program Is a program that the employee has direct impact on something in the business, some sort of measurement that's easy to find, easy to calculate, but is also for them repeatable, controllable, Mm -hmm. right? And has a direct impact on profits because mm-hmm. if if you can create some sort of reward program that they can do over and over and over again and then they keep getting rewarded and rewarded and rewarded well then they're always going to be able to increase profits because they're going to be there's a specific agreement for them to get rewarded for a very something specific that they do i can give examples but i think that's going to take too long the second thing is recruiting tools so recruiting tool like small practices don't use recruiting tools the way they need. And recruiting tools can be simple, simple as a, something specific inside the, the culture. Are they family oriented? Do you have a picnic every month? Like what are the things that you're recruiting to? Do you have a 401k? Do you have health insurance? People think of 401k and health insurance are retention programs. They're not because mm-hmm. guess what? Banfield offers a 401k right. and health insurance. Right. So like, you, you know, it really understanding and distinguishing, like what makes you, your practice uniquely different? How, how can you compensate people in a way that no one else can. And, I mean, I even heard somebody in, in New, uh, I think it was New Mexico, this practice in New Mexico, popcorn bowls. I, I guess there was a way that they they can buy these bowls for popcorn and the people can go to uh, go to the theater and get unlimited popcorn if they have these popcorn <laughs> bowls. So the practice okay. pays for popcorn bowls for everybody. Right. That was right. something that they wanted. And so, uh, uh, so sometimes, sometimes I, I, I've experienced where practice managers come up to the owner and say, I want equity. But they kind of, what they're really saying is they want more benefits and maybe there's a way to benefit them in a way that's not necessarily money or compensation. Maybe, maybe, maybe it is Mm -hmm. Dan Iarly last, last thought on this Dan Iarly, before I get to Mm -hmm. retention programs, Dan Iarly did a whole experiment on this. He took $6, put it on a plate, stuck it in the fridge at a, uh, a college dorm where, you know, where they share a fridge came back the next day. The plate was still there with all $6 in it. Hmm. Huh. He he stuck a six pack of Coke. Uh-huh. Yeah,
1: right. Came and back the next gone. day; they were all gone. Right. right.
0: Right. So we actually don't value money that much. Right. We value what money can do for us. But, and yeah, if we right. Make it easy for people to get some sort of benefit. Sometimes it's as easy as just going buying them a Coke, and they're going to yeah. appreciate that a whole lot more than giving them an extra dollar.
2: Yeah. Yeah. retention
0: programs 409a rules if you want to look it up there's certain retention programs that you can even put in place for your practice we do it all the time i think i, I think i did two yesterday there's a uh, three characteristics of a good retention program it's mm-hmm. emotional mm-hmm. something tied to emotion for the employee it's deferred mm-hmm. meaning that if they don't stay for a certain amount of time then they then they lose the benefit right mm-hmm. it's, it's emotional right. It's deferred, substantial is the third one. Mm-hmm, if, mm-hmm. if you stay with me for ten years, you get X amount of dollars. But all you got to do is stay. All you got to do is stay. Right. There's right, no right, performance right, right, right. mechanism because these people mm-hmm. are already performing. You know.
1: Right. Exactly. It's literally well, they're a gift dumping to more stake. time and mm-hmm. energy and effort into the practice, and sometimes the practice owners are. And so I'm constantly telling them, "What's your return on your investment besides right. your salary? Right. Right. Your blood, sweat, and tears into this practice. Right. Making right. the practice what it is, and your I'll say just getting your salary.
0: Right. Business owners are scared to ask their employees from what I've seen. A lot of them are scared to ask their employees what they actually want
2: mm-hmm. because they're
0: scared that if they ask, then they're going to have to like provide right.
2: it. Yeah, right. But right sometimes
0: right. if you ask them what they want, you'll learn things that about them that just it's crazy. It's awesome. It's crazy. Yeah, you know what, you know. I agree. So I
2: mean, I see so many posts on manager forums and groups and things. And they'll say, you know, what have you done for your employees lately? And they'll get all kinds of great responses. We took them to a ski trip. We did this. We did that. And I just sit there and I read them. And then I wait until the comments die down. And of course, that part, the manager's like, yeah, those are awesome. And I'll say, have you asked them what they want recently? You know, have you sent a survey yeah, exactly. that maybe puts a couple of those ideas in an other category? Yeah. And, you know, heck, maybe you don't like... I mean, man, Andrea and I know if you do something for all the employees, you get seventy to eighty percent attendance. Yeah, right? there's and the of the Attendance, though. yeah, like of mm-hmm. the attendance, you get let's say sixty to seventy percent of those people that really loved it. So if you took that twenty percent of your staff and did something else for them, you know what I mean? It's because people are different, right? They're not, uh, you know, they're not unique. So. That's a great way to put it. So, you have a podcast, uh, CJ and and your partner Tom does this yeah, well. Yeah, you guys are proud of your business. Yeah. So, tell us a little bit about Smarter Vet and where our listeners can find it and a little bit about what you guys talk about on that podcast.
0: Sure, yeah, we're we're on all platforms, Apple, Spotify. It's called the Smarter Vet Financial Podcast, although it seems like it's trending more and more towards lifestyle. You know, we started off a couple years ago. Started on a lot of financial topics that were pretty popular, frequently asked questions, those kinds of things. Uh, we started even putting a lot of just snippets of, of different things that we find as we go. And we're like, you know what? People need to know about XYZ. Let's throw it on our podcast. And it's, it's in the feed. There are little bonuses there. We publish three episodes a month. It's on the 6th, the 16th, and the 26th. So it's, it's always on every single time it's on those, those dates, unless it's Thanksgiving or Christmas, like we, we do something for Thanksgiving and something for Christmas and those kinds of things. But yeah, you know, it's been fun. And we have interviews of, of, of even people in, in the vet space that aren't even remotely close to financial stuff. So we're, we're always interviewing people on that, you know, as far as topics and things like things like that, I mean, we're starting to reach more into the relationships piece, I think between, you know, a a, a few years ago, I got really into these books that were just about relationships, about communicating, which led into certain things along, you know, understanding narcissists. And like, I mean, (laughs) I went into like a bunch of different things, which I I think are now starting, we're starting to pull a lot of that stuff together because it all is financial. It, It all does relate to the financial side of things to a certain degree. And so,
2: more and more we're, we're, we're moving in that more of that lifestyle direction. Tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. I one
0: time was having coffee outside of a coffee shop with a friend. This homeless guy approached us and started talking to us. I asked him if he was hungry. And he said, yeah, I went in and bought him some stuff. I brought it to him. And then after probably about 15 or 20 minutes, like I I was with this friend that I hadn't seen in years and I, and he was leaving. So I was like, Hey, like I asked him, I said, Hey, do you mind if you mind if we kind of just had our coffee? Cause you know, I've only limited of time with this guy and the homeless guy got actually kind of upset <laughs> and I I felt horrible. It was an absolute failure on my part to, to completely not realize that what I should have done is invited him to sit down with us. It, you know, they say confession is good for, good for the soul, but bad for the reputation. And I, th- that that was one thing that uh, i always feel like it was an epic failure. So the next time that a homeless guy approaches me and starts talking to me and he he probably just wants to hang out and, Next time, I'm going to make sure that I invite them to
2: sit with us. Tell me about your proudest moment.
0: My daughter, the um, pretty recently, this is incredible for me as a musician. Uh, she's playing a piece. She played a chord. I said, "Hey, now play that first inverted," and then she did, and I was like, wow. "What?" And she's 13. So she's a little older, but that, that that was huge for me. I really felt proud because, <laughs> I mean, she's she's really taken to uh, to something that I've always loved myself.
2: Why veterinary medicine? What do you enjoy about our profession?
0: I love the hearts of veterinarians. They're big. They give a lot. And I've always really felt like they were underserved in our area. And that's why. Self-care, how do you practice it? How do you decompress? Pretty specific on my diet. I exercise probably four or five times a week. I love it. Uh, I spend a lot of time in scripture. I am a Christian. And that's that's a lot of the times how I decompress. And I love the beach because I he- live here in Florida. So can't count that out. How do you balance work and life?
2: And do you experience work guilt in that balance?
0: I found that time boundaries were the best way for me to manage that, blocking out time on my calendar and then making sure that I stuck to those boundaries. And you know, work guilt definitely creeps in there sometimes, but I think I feel more guilty not spending enough time with my family. So I, I would almost say that I, I always have to remind myself that even though I might have work guilt, I need to also make sure that my family guilt <laughs> is is also suppressed even more so than my work
2: guilt. What keeps you up at night? Things that stress you out or cause you anxiety in your business and your firm?
0: Suicide rate. Veterinarians keeps me up a lot throughout my entire life. I've kind of been around a lot of death, like in my family, I've been older and, you know, I think that's something that is constantly weighing on me pretty heavy. I had friends that have taken their own lives and I've lived through that multiple times. And so that that's something that always keeps me up and I really think about it a lot. And I'm always thinking about the clients that I'm meeting with and making sure that if there are signs that if there's anything that I can help with them or, or point them in the right direction, like there's not one more vet or
2: whatever, then I, I can do that. And what gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day?
0: experiencing life with other people. Uh, That's my favorite part of life in general, whether it be my family or my clients or Tom or my employees. I just, you know, I I love to just get started on whatever project that I have for the day because I just just because of the people that are around me. Um, I'm always I'm always
2: excited for that next interaction. Awesome. So Tom, are you ready to go? I'm gonna do my best. Yes. All right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. Well, I mean, it's,
3: I think it's just kind of one day of being really not smart. It was early part of 2020, right before COVID and everything kicked in. And we were on our way back from an event and I was like, I'm going to real fast. I don't know what I was thinking. But I, I, I got out of the car real fast because I was going to go like slam dunk some trash in the trash can outside in the car. And then I wanted to go run back real fast because I want to be like that creepy guy kind of getting back in the car. Like, why'd he slam it in the trash and drive away so fast? Um, I actually tripped over the little thing in, that you park on. I forgot what you call that, like where your car parks out. I tripped and then I slammed into the car, scraped my <laughs> knee on the ground, and actually like messed up my left shoulder. And I'm still having problems <laughs> with it since. So it's definitely an epic failure. Tell me about your proudest moment. It's actually the most recent. I just had a daughter. She was born back in June of this year. So it's very, uh, very proud daddy now. Why veterinary medicine? What do you enjoy about our profession? One, I love animals. It's been one of those things that I've had such a huge passion. My wife always pokes fun at me about it because she's like, you're so obsessed with them. Uh, but I just love the profession so much because, like, I would say most people are very humble compared to a lot of the other professions or groups that we've worked with. And I, they, people generally want to learn and know things. Self-care, how do you practice it? How do you decompress? Before my daughter, I used to do a lot of this. It's been a challenge lately for me. Uh, however, my self-care was a lot of, I would journal every single day. I would also meditate for a little while. It was more breathing exercises. And also at the same time, just exercise, being able to go out there. I love to lift weights. I'm more of a I don't like to run and everything, but I like to actually like really be strenuous and get a good sweat
2: and heart rate up and everything. How do you balance work and life? And do you experience any work guilt in that balance? I think of work life as more of a work,
3: work life integration. There really is no balance to it because you can't really balance things, especially when it's a passion and something that you truly love. I will say at times, I can feel a little guilty if I have to work a little longer sometimes is because of something, a project that I'm working on. However, what I, what I do my best to in my life is to make sure I make things priorities. And then when I create times for things that are personal or for business,
2: I usually try to make them non-negotiable. What keeps you up at night? Things that stress you out or things that give you anxiety in your business? Hmm. That's actually a great question. What
3: keeps me up at night? I'd say <laughs> our business not doing very well. <laughs> us not talking to enough people would probably be it. Maybe maybe losing some employees is another thing that kind of freaks me out. It's just, you know, one of them was we have a, one that keeps us glued together right now. And if if she were gone, I don't know, our our entire business would fall apart. I think it would take a little while to recover.
2: And what gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? I think, the, you know, it's the opportunity
3: to... Do something new, start fresh again, be able to just know that I have this opportunity to create something, to be someone, to, you know, I I love this whole thought of my wife actually introduced this to me the other day that, you know, we have the opportunity in our lives to do two things. And there's a lot of things that we will like, and there's a lot of things we won't like in our life. And you can either do them with a positive attitude or you can do them with a negative attitude. So every day is just trying to find something positive from everything that's out there. And, you know, of course, I'm, I'd am i say I'm more of the realistic positive type person. So I just look at, hey, I get a chance to do something new, maybe that I didn't get to do yesterday or get to do something that I've been meaning to do <laughs> that I didn't get done
2: yesterday. Well, gentlemen, Tom and CJ, thank you so much. Thank
1: you so much, guys. For coming guys. on the show.
2: This was great. Great to have you and best of luck and uh, shout out to your podcast, the Smarter Vet podcast. And uh, we hope to connect with you guys soon.
1: Thanks, guys.
2: This has been great. Thanks for having us.
0: Thank you.
1: Hey, Andrea here. Have you seen our social media pages? Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find us on our website, www.positiveleaders.com. And if you like what you see there, be sure to give Rhonda and Linda a shout out over at Dog Days Consulting. They do all of our social media management. They even built our website. Those ladies can work some creative magic for your business and your brand. Check them out on Facebook at Dog Days Consulting or visit their website at www.dogdaysconsulting.com.
2: For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow.
1: We want to hear from you. Good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a -A P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your You Can't Make This Shit Up story featured? Email us.
2: You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast. And be sure to rate us check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a -A P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials.
1: This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane.
2: The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener, are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrea Crabtree David Liss and their guests only, may not be current and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever is expressly disclaimed.